the catechesis works, you know, formation and catechesis works. And the question, like you said, Nick, is just to who is doing the catechizing and who is someone's forming your kids. Just like someone's forming you, by the way, like you're being formed too. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. J.D., how are you doing today? Doing great, Nick. Thanks. Matt is on vacation this week, and I got to say, Matt does it right. When he goes on vacation, he really goes. He's totally <laughs> off the grid as far as I can tell. That's right. Uh, we're not, so we're you, not certain he hasn't been abducted. We should, right. we should just be honest about that. So, that's right. Matt, if you you're may hearing get a this, call from us next that's week. Right, yeah. Blink twice. <laughs> so, Jade and I are joined today by two special guests Michael Neal, who's been on the show before and who serves as Director of Family Ministry here with me in Louisville, and Alonzo Crawford who is Director of Youth Ministry there with J.D. at Christ Church. Mike and Alonzo, welcome to Stand Firm. Hey, Nick. Hey, J.D. So the reason we had these guys on this week is that we wanted to follow up on last week's conversation about discipleship and catechesis. And the four of us have been friends for longer than we've been working together, but we've always been strongly convicted about Christian formation. And to that end, we are building a curriculum aimed at junior and senior high school students called To Be a Christian foundations of the Christian life. And the idea, and I'm just going to read from my church website here, is to form (laughs) students to know who God is, what he has said, and who they are in light of his word. In other words, students will learn what biblically faithful Christianity is, why it is truthful and trustworthy, and how Jesus impacts their lives. They will also be prepared as disciples of Christ to go out into the world secure in the truth of God's word and the good news about Jesus Christ, able to give a ready defense of the faith they have within them, as we are called to be in 1 Peter 3.15. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I think the genesis of this project, other than the general desire we all share to form disciples in our churches, I think the genesis was you came to me wanting to do a class for our students at Grace Church, and then I suggested that we build it out into a whole curriculum, and then we roped JD and Alonzo in to help. Is that how you remember it? Yeah. And what prompted you to come to me in the first place? Yeah, that's it. That's it, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I remember. I think even before I came on staff at Grace, I came to you and said, "Hey, I think I'd like to do this." And I mean, I guess the if I had to bullet point it, two things. One would be just the need seeing the need for it and the other um, would just be, I mean, and this is more on my end, the calling. So with respect to need, like I just thinking back to myself as a youth, like what I, like, I, I could have used that, you know, I could have used something yeah. like what we're doing. And probably in some sense, I, I think it'd be fair to say I wanted, even though I was fairly rebellious and didn't listen to <laughs> uh, anyone hardly beside myself. Uh, I think that in some sense I would have wanted something like this. And I, it, just talking with, you know, my wife, Whitney, and other people, I mean, I know that even uh, adults in our church and other adults in other churches, they want opportunities like this. Um, and I know we're, we'll probably get some adult ed, ed, ed classes out of it. And people want this stuff and, and they need it. Uh, I mean, especially with the way things are in society and culture right now in terms of antagonism uh, toward the faith. And then, but with respect to, you know, so that's one thing, the, the need portion. And then with respect to calling, uh, I mean, just, you know, studying philosophy in grad school and theology in my undergrad. I mean, I I have some understanding of the lay of the land, uh, and I just, 
I enjoy this sort of thing and, and keep up with it to some degree and have, I guess to put it bluntly, I think that I have things to say that people need to hear. And, um, <laughs> and I think that's, I heard Doug Wilson mentioned something like that when he was, he was talking about calling, you know, and I think that's right. So I guess in some sense, I, I felt the calling to, uh, to do this sort of thing. So. Well, I think there's a couple of, I mean, I totally affirm that and I'm grateful for the opportunity to have, um, uh, been helpful and encouraging you in that to a certain degree. I mean, cause we've been friends for a while and I think that your insights, um, um, are not, well, maybe not unique, but they're certainly gathered together in a, um, in a very helpful and edifying way, uh, for the service of the church. And I think that's a wonderful gift. And I think it's, it's, it's also a, you know, the, the entire enterprise is a judgment on the state of sort of contemporary Christianity, um, I think, because the fact that we would have to defend or kind of explain the need for and the, well, well, the need for something like this um, in our con- various contexts, which I've had to do uh, myself um, time and time again, is just an indication of how anemic and, as the sociologists would say, thin, you know, many people's Christianity is, is that it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always surprising to me that the level of sophistication and engagement with various, you know, professional relationships or even avocational ones, you know, the, the number of, um, you know, baseball statistics that people can rattle off or like the various connections mm-hmm. in various movies or the, the sophistication of, of like, well, I'm just saying, like, for instance, people that know lighting cues and various camera angles of movies, um, you know, it's incredibly sophisticated sophisticated and the human capacity for uh, absorbing and, and sort of categorizing information is is vast. And yet, when it comes to Christianity and our faith mm-hmm. and our sort of understanding of the scripture, scripture, tradition and reason, as we have in the Anglican Church, you know, people are more than happy to basically be essentially ignorant of any of the great uh, truths and issues uh, that have confronted and confounded people for millennia. And so I think that, you know, what we're living in in the moment is a realization that whatever, um, you know, if you just look at the statistics, you know, with the nuns, quote unquote nuns and the hashtag exvangelicals and things that we talk about. I was just looking at um, a new Barna research uh, poll that said in the last uh, 20 years, um, I believe it's 20, it might be 30, but at any rate, it went from 5% of people responding to the per- survey uh, said that they had were religiously unaffiliated to 30%. I mean, that's six times the number of people. And, you know, even if it's in a hundred years, that's still an amazing judgment on the failure um, to a certain degree of the of the church to um, to at least challenge uh, their people with with the great truths, because it's not that I don't think it's I do think, you know, we could get into epistemology and things like this. I think that people do suppress the truth of God with a lie. And I think that Romans one does speak to the um, hardness of our hearts and that there's not a there's not a, a perfect argument that will bring people into the faith. But we're not talking about people that are outside of the faith. We're talking about people inside who are being fed, quote unquote, um, gruel, you know, like, um, or, or something, you know, barely nutritional from a spiritual perspective for decades. Well, then we should be unsurprised that when they're required to, to, again, to use the analogy, stand up and fight or stand up and defend or, you know, exercise their, their, uh, muscles to a certain degree, they are, they're unprepared and, and anemic and, ultimately um, helpless before before the prevailing winds of culture and the tide. And I think that 
um, you know, that's, that's at the heart of all of these conversations. Um, and, you know, there are many tools out there that are good, but I think that, you know, we have, um, we're trying to do what the Church of England uh, enjoins our ministers when we took our uh, ordination vows is to preach the gospel afresh in every generation, you know, not anew, but afresh. And part of that freshness mm-hmm. is that some of the questions and concerns that kids and adults for that matter, parents are facing um, now were almost unthinkable, even as, as recent as five years ago. Um, And so, you know, apologetics books that were worried about, you know, the rise of secular humanism, you know, back in the nineties, when I was in high school, it was like, Oh, you know, the secular world's going to take over. And, um, and that's going to be it. You know, all this sort of humanism is going to pervade. Well, we've seen the exact opposite. It's not a secular humanism. It's a rise of neo-paganism. You know, now it's, you know, it's totally easy to worship just about anything except God rightly understood. You know, like I myself am divine is really not a crazy thing to hear someone say, nor to see other people believe. So that's the opposite of secular humanism. That's the rise of, of um, a full-throated neo-paganism, which of course is kind of the, um, was the end result of what Paul uh, was prophesying about, it turns out, in Romans chapter one, or at least diagnosing. So anyway, that's a long way of saying, I think that that this is not only a worthy endeavor, but I think it's timely. And I think uh, I'm excited to see how um, over a couple of iterations, it begins to get honed and sort of refined, and hopefully will be a service, not just to your churches, but to the churches in general. Alonzo, what about I know that you've worked with youth for a long time. What do you, what do you see them, whether consciously or unconsciously, aching for as they grow up into the faith? Yeah, I think uh, you know Mike hit on it that so many people, and not only you know in our churches, and not, not just the youth, but adults as well, they're hungering for the truth. They um, are surrounded by lies, and um, they're 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 just hungering for what. What do we believe? Why do we believe it? And they want to be told the truth and not to be not to shy away from it or beat around the bush. And uh, and I think I think youth in particular, they can they notice that they're able to recognize they're able to see through the facade if you're kind of skirting around the 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 the, the, the truth and you're not being honest. And so I think they really appreciate and they really hunger for uh, ministers who who stand up and who have convictions and who 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 speak loudly and clearly the, what the truth is. And so that's what I'm trying to do here in, uh, at Christ Church is um, to teach the scriptures, to teach them as they've been given to us and to not to hide, not to be silent, but to, but to speak and to prepare them for, and, and, and I've told them this, and I've told their parents this, that my job essentially as a, the youth minister is to prepare them and to help them and equip them to build their lives on the rock, build their lives on Christ. Um, Because once they graduate high school and they kind of leave the nest and they go to university or they go to the the workforce or wherever they may go, that the winds and the waves, they're going to come. And if they're not prepared, then, you know, Jesus tells us that the house will fall. And so my job is to help them build their lives on the rock, which is Christ. And that part of that is teaching them the truth and not shying away from it um, and engaging with the, you know, the particular doctrines, quote unquote, of the culture and how the uh, Christ and how uh, Christianity, you know, opposes that and how it corrects that. And so um, that's, that's, that's what I do. That's what, you know, that's our calling. 
I remember when I hired Mike, my vision at the beginning was really small, just wanting somebody to um, preach to and teach our kids. And he, from the very beginning, had a larger vision than that and knew that to minister to a child or a young person, you need to minister to the family because... You know, we have families in church for an hour or two or three or four a week. And I don't know if there was a time in American history when kids and their parents were actively talking about Christian truths around the breakfast table and the dinner table and building each other up in what Rod Dreher calls in Live Not By Lies, a, a resistance cell. Um, the, yeah, that's right. the culture wasn't always, you know, so hostile. Perhaps as hostile, right? Right. But there was still, it's uh, there was at, there is at least now not that formation happening where we have a tendency, and I've even seen this in myself, to to send our kids away to school and to sort of trust that the school is doing the things. Yeah, what can we, go wrong? What right. can go wrong? Right. And the same yeah. to youth group and the same to soccer practice. And we, we sort of abdicate the entire raising of our children to mm-hmm. other people. And um, we have we have neglected to tell anybody what the wolves look like. Amen. And you were saying Shady about the the emaciated sheep. We we sort of then like let them wander out of the fold. That's right. And they're just completely and utterly they've never seen a wolf. And so when it comes, they're just like what I'm, I'm Except from their local pulpit, generally speaking. Oh I mean right. that's the mm-hmm. I'm thinking of uh M. Night Shyamalan's The Village when they yeah. they they wander into the woods and they've only heard there's potentially a thing out there, and then when they see it, it completely freezes them. That's right. Yeah, that's they, good. They don't know what to do. Well, and here's the problem is you have it, it, the, the difficulty, too, is that there's a there's an emaciated Christianity that um, that that is defiant in the face of wolves, but is ill prepared. You know, so what they what you have is people saying, you know, well, I know that I can't explain this. I know that, um, you know, you're saying X, Y, Z against the faith. I know, you know, all of these objections, uh, you think they're right, but I have my faith. And, you know, faith is really just believing in things, even if you don't really believe it, you know, that's kind of the idea. And so, and so you can never take that away from it. You know, fideism is a, the state, you know, that, and this type of emaciated Christianity ultimately produces agnostics at best, if not angry atheists, because, you know, what you see around here, like we've talked about again, with the ex-evangelicals are people that, that had spent a lot of time by their own, you know, attestation in all sorts of camps and all sorts of, um, church retreats and all these things. And, you know, outside the ones that were sort of, you know, um, actually harmed, you know, the ones that are complaining are saying basically that I was brainwashed by this pablum of, you know, sort of moral sort of moral improvement or something, you know, none of the deep riches of the of the actual claims, none of the um, none of the, uh, you know, engagement with with even the questions and how people all throughout history have have dealt with these questions. And so you have this false and sad uh, defiance in the face of unbelief, uh, which ultimately ultimately results in that very thing that they were so defiant against back when then, you know, and I, and I resemble this remark, I have to say almost, 
because, you know, when I first heard objections to Christianity in any from any sophisticated uh, perspective or any persistent um, sophistication, you know, I was defiant and I said, well, that's just what you think or whatever. But deep down inside, you know, there's some real growing sense of unease and, and uncertainty. And thanks be to God, you know, some intervention, not the least of which of um, reading Augustine and being introduced to, you know, sort of historic um, creedal uh, Christianity um, at just the right time. You know, barring that sort of intervention, I could see how you become soured very quickly on all of the, um, I don't know, the games that you played in youth ministry the whole time. You know, like, I mean, uh, you know, kickball and Foursquare is fun. But goodness gracious, like I needed you to tell me about the reality of God and the questions about um, consciousness and the proofs of the resurrection and the defense of scripture and the odyssey and all of it. Like I needed to know all of it because I was ran headfirst into it. And um, that guy knew a lot of it, you know, and yeah. so I think that's where yeah. that's where we are. Yeah, Speaking it's no wonder it. if, if people, you know, you, if you all you do when you go to youth group is, you know, eat pizza and play games. And I mean, I'm sure there's a, there's a time to have, you know, quote unquote fun or whatever, you know, I mean, I say that because learning can be fun, too. Right. But I mean, it's no wonder, though, if this is what you if this is fundamental. What, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, but it's no wonder if this is what you grow up with that uh, that cycle bar can replace church on Sunday morning. Amen. I mean, it no, just, I've it seen makes that. Sense. I've seen that firsthand. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, but it's in part why I say it. But yeah. and and to Nick's point about you know making the you know this really being a family ministry. Um, and I don't know how you know what kind of specifics we want to get into about the curriculum that we're we're building, but. We we're trying to put measures in place, I guess you could say, to to really incorporate some practical steps to incorporate the family where uh, and fathers in particular being the head of the household, the, the spiritual leader, you know, and so on. That Mike Neal has w- just invoked both Doug Wilson and, and the patriarchy as the head of the household <laughs> one right. podcast. You're going to get uh, us kicked uh, off uh, iTunes. That's no, right. I'm because sorry. people were really, I, people were really up until then confused about our positions. On right, right. Right. Nick, that's why. <laughs> right, right. Somebody yeah. had to play the role uh, of Matt Kennedy. That's yeah, right. right. <laughs> that's right. Well, what, so specifically one of the things we're doing and the people who are listening, if, you know, if they're, they're trying to do this sort of thing, they're in the process of it, they're interested in doing it. I mean, uh, I think, and I, I want to say, I can't remember, maybe Mike, uh, um, he, maybe a, a guy in our church, he came up with one of these ideas and that, but here, here too, one is we're going to weekly, we're sending out a letter that summarizes uh, in two, you know, two pages or less, the lesson, uh, some of the, the broad strokes of, of what we talked about, and then some discussion questions. And that, the idea is that the, uh, the father or mother, whomever would uh, sit down and throughout the week at some point, just kind of talk with their kids, you know, ask them questions, quiz them on these things, just just open up dialogue, basically, to where these conversations can happen around the dinner table again. And then in addition to that weekly letter, we're going to do, and this was Micah's idea, do a, a, a weekly phone call mm-hmm. where uh, I try to reach out, you know, to the father and just say, hey, you know. Uh, you mean with your voice? Yes, like actually, <laughs> right. But we'll have to set it up via text first. That's right. it, you know. But but yeah, just do a phone call. It, it does, it's not going to be long, more than likely. I mean, but it's as long as they want it to be, right? So then maybe they don't answer. But I mean, um, the idea will be that we we can, you know, I mean, some of the stuff we're going to talk about is somewhat technical. I mean, like uh, if you've never studied philosophy, then you hear about the cosmological argu- argument uh, from contingency. You might be like, what in the world is this? 
hopefully the letter will help explain it a bit and give you some, something to talk about with your kid. But um, but the conversation with me, I have a little you know experience of that sort of thing. So it, can, we can, it will help develop that and then hopefully foster more conversation and just uh, get parents more involved. So those are some of the practical steps we're taking to kind of incorporate the, the family in this well, process. We've also talked too, J.D., about uh, possibly having either once a month or maybe uh, quarterly having like a Saturday morning breakfast at the church with the parents and then get them together. And we, maybe we tackle a topic. So how do you talk to your youth about LGBTQ issues? How do you talk to your, your kids about X, Y, or Z, whatever it may be, um, and kind of uh, walking them through, you know, heck, it could be starting out with how do you lead a family devotion? You know, how do you do family prayer? Like very simple things that we could really, you know, to kind of shape it, you know, youth ministry, children's ministry, but also, you know, help parents disciple their children. I mean, they're the primary disciplers of their kids. You know, we're yep. just there to help equip them to do that. So, yeah. And there's some great resources to that end. I mean, I'm reading right now through a book uh, by a guy named Tim Bailey called Daddy Tried Dealing with the Failures of Fatherhood, which is, uh, <laughs> it's, I only have a six year old. So that tells you how, where we are with that. Uh, I mean, my six or my, it was my oldest, but, but it's, um, it's a beautiful book. I mean, I'm, I've just started it, but, but I get the idea that um, essentially it says, you know, that obviously, reliance it's it's like a, a reliance on the lord's promises is greater than our you know meager attempts you know and so that the that the, for, to the parent uh, who's saying, well, I don't know enough, or it's been too late, or I haven't done enough, or I really don't go to church really at all. It's like, that's, none of that is sufficient. Uh, none of that will overpower the promises of God for a for Start tomorrow. faithful. That's right. And so, you know, the best prayer we've been reading through with a men's group here at uh, Christ Church, John Yates's um, uh, book, How a Man Prays for His Family. And I was struck again, I mean, having been given that back when I was, um, uh, right out of college and um you know so t- 20 years ago just how straightforward and how simple it is but how necessary you know it's just straightforward like you know essentially says do it and do it as often as you can uh which in the beginning might be just one sentence a day and, and to that end i mean all of these same things is that the the resources are out there and not everyone's going to be able to avail themselves of all of it and there'll be various levels of interest and participation but but that there is a need um, should be clear enough. And that's what we are, we're, we're sort of simultaneously publicizing. If you aren't aware by now, then here's X, Y, Z, you know, example X, A, B, C, and D as to why Christian discipleship is more necessary than ever. You know, the culture no longer disciples. The schools are certainly have no interest in Christian discipleship. And they many, disciple just not toward Well, Christ. that's right. That's, that's right. right. Well, they yeah. preach. Yeah. I mean, there's a preacher in your child's life about everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. And so if you aren't actively involved in knowing what they're being preached, uh, what is being preached to them, and then being participant in that uh, formative preaching yourself, well, then um, then then don't don't be surprised when whatever the, the catechesis works, you know, formation and catechesis works. And mm-hmm. the question, yeah. like you said, Nick, is just to who is doing the catechizing and who and is someone's forming your kids, That's just right. like someone's forming you, by right. the way, like you're yeah, being sure. formed That's too. Right. One of the things I think that comes up sometimes with parents and talking about the faith with their kids is they, they feel ill-equipped, and many of them are, let's just face it. But that's okay, one, because there are things you can do to remedy it, but also um, we don't speak to our children because they understand, right? We speak to them so that they will understand. And I, this is, I mean, this is what they're doing in school. The transgender philosophy, of course, makes zero sense. 
Um, but these people will, um, they, they will beat it, uh, you know, into your kid's head day in and day out at school until one day it quote unquote makes sense to them, right? And the thing is, they just won't stop. And we, we just will have to not stop ourselves. We have to do this. And so um, we, we can't give up basically. And so I think that just as a, a practical matter, people should hear this as a word of encouragement. Like you may not understand everything, and, but take what you do have and give it to your kids over and over and over again, especially right. when they're really young. And they will come to an understanding so. Yeah, I use the analogy uh, all the time of Christianity as being uh, language learning, you know, and that's not just from a speech act theory sort of um, philosophy. That's just a practical analogy that, you know, it, like picking up a language, it takes repetition and uh, time. Uh, there's really no fast way, no matter what Rosetta Stone tells you, to actually pick up fluency in another language other than just hearing it, speaking it, reading it and immersing yourself in it. And, um, and, you know, and I remember when we first I use the analogy all the time, we first showed up in Berlin, um, you know, on the train from the airport to the um, place we were going, you know, it sounded, it sounded like, I don't know, like, uh, what are they saying? Waiting for Guffman dogs barking, you know, something, you know, it just sounded like it sounded just like gruff sounded sounds. And I was like, this is, I'll never learn this. And then, you know, six years later, I mean, I wasn't, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have been mistaken for a native German speaker, but I certainly understood a lot more. And it was an entirely different and it wasn't an entirely different world. That was what's interesting is it basically people talk about the same thing on trains everywhere. Like, what do you have for dinner? Where are you going? Like, did you get to see TV last night? But from a Christian perspective, you know, and I preached about this at a baptism just a week ago. I said, Christian people talk about the world in a different way because we talk about a world where God is known. I mean, that's just that's just flatly what the case is. Like, God yeah. is not unknown. God is not hasn't um, is not silent. And has, in fact, revealed himself and sufficiently, not exhaustively, but that's what the sufficiency of Scripture means. He has revealed himself sufficiently for his sheep to hear his voice and to be nourished by his um, his um, his word. And so that's the difference. And so that makes all the difference, because if you don't have that, well, then you're going to learn a different language. You're going to have a different understanding of just about everything. And so, you know, I mean, we've talked about it before. And if you want to pick up a good book, um, I've just been in the middle of Tom Holland's uh, Dominion. Someone gave, I had bought it a couple of years ago, but I finally read it about, about how just how radical Christian language of the world is over against non-Christian language. But I mean, that's, that's a, almost a truism just to say that if you if you believe in God and God revealed, not some philosopher God, um, then that's going to change everything. And the fact that people are just now waking up to just how dramatically that different, how dramatic that difference is, is uh, the time that the Lord has ordained us to live in at this moment. Because, you know, my grandfather would have, would, you know, I don't know what his, uh, by the end of his life, he was sort of what we would say more of a, a outspoken um, evangelical, you know, you talk about Jesus and he was thankful for being saved and things, but for many years of his life, he was uh, part of a otherwise um, Christian culture that had um, was not questioning his faith in um, the God of the Bible in any explicit way um, in any dramatic way, or like not certainly not the way that, like you mentioned before the transgender um, ideology or some of these other ideologies are explicitly calling into question uh, the claims that the Bible has been making um, for, for millennia. And that's the world that we live in now. That's the one that our children for without perhaps revival or, or the Lord's intervention will live in to an even further degree. And here we are preparing, not out of fear, but out of diligence and responsibility 
um, ourselves and our families and the people within the spheres of our influence to to stand um, to stand firm. I mean, that's, you know, in the day of trial. Well, I mean, that's the to, to do it, pugnat fides, the, the fight to defend the faith, you know, the fighting faith, um, not for the sake of Christian hedge money or whatever it else, some sort of cynic would say, but for the, for the hope set before us as grammar writes. So, amen. Mike, I remember sitting, I believe it was on your in-laws front porch as we talked about. Uh, Is this the beginning what? of a country song? <laughs> that's right. like, there I was remember a pickup truck and a dog. That's right. um, we talked about what, we wanted this curriculum to involve what we wanted to talk about. And I wanted to sort of ask you and Alonzo at the same time, as we were talking through how much church history are we including, how much philosophy, talking about justice and social justice, how much Anglicanism, what, what were some of the things that you guys thought were really crucial to include and why? Uh, well, I think, I think number one is um, to teach them the scriptures, but also not only that, but what exactly the Bible is, is it something that, is it the Bible something that we can trust? Can we build our lives on it? Is it true? You know, is it, you know, it's, is it inspired? Is it given to us by God for our lives to, to shape and to form us? You know, things like that, you know, addressing those questions. Um, but not only that, you know, what do we believe the Bible says? You know, what do we believe the Bible actually teaches us? And I think that kind of leads us into learning about the creeds, um, the, the, you know, the, the, what we as Christians um, specifically believe the Christian faith, the Christian meth- message is. Because there's a lot of people who, who study the Bible, right? But we all, but not everyone agrees on what the Bible actually says. And so we teach, you know, not only, you know, the foundation of the scriptures or what the scriptures actually teach and that, you know, is formulated in the creeds. Um, and so that to me is kind of the, the foundation for everything else is, is that, um, um, and then everything else builds on, on top of that. Yeah. I mean, pretty much just echo that. And, and I'll just add that, I mean, I, you know, in ter- so our, our curriculum is uh, at the moment, anyway, this is a work in progress split up into 10 different modules. Uh, each one will be completed in the semester's time. Uh, so roughly 13 weeks. The, so I don't know that just looking at the different modules that there's one that jumps out is way more important than the others or anything like that. But I mean, I think that what I would hope to communicate in, in, in teaching through any one of them is that the Christian worldview that is based on scripture is, is rich in terms of its explanatory power, that, that, that a secular worldview doesn't have more to offer them. Uh, in terms of what it can tell them about themselves and the world, uh, and and that there is a sort of authenticity, um, pr- even with their uh, their own experience, that that the Christian worldview uh, sort of meets them with, I guess. And and I I think that I think that they'll be able to pick up on that as we go through this. But that's but that's one of the fundamental things I would hope to communicate in any of the modules that we we go through. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, Mike. Uh, and I often point out to people when I'm, um, well, whenever I can, that um, you know the Christian worldview or the Christian faith does, in fact, have questions that are have some difficult answers. You know, there's right. no question. Um, and some of the, some of the um, 
theological propositions are quite uh, sophisticated and mysterious. You know, you think about the Trinity, you think about um, God's sovereignty and human freedom. I mean, all these sorts of things are very, can be very complicated and, and, and rather rigorous, in fact. But that doesn't um, mean that non-Christian worldviews are any less um, fraught with their own challenges and their own right. questions. Um, and right. so, you know, when you look at suffering and evil in the world, um, the atheist has to describe that uh, with just as many, I think, logical um, difficulties and and brings up as many questions as answers from an atheistic perspective as it does a, as a Christian perspective. And that's what just has to be reiterated time and time again, because there's an insecurity amongst moderately or, or well-educated, otherwise well-educated Christian people who are woefully uneducated in sort of basic Christian principles, doctrines, you know, what have you. Um, so that they're the biggest fear many people have is to be exposed as either a fraud, um, a fraud at best, or at worst would be just flat out ignorant of something, you know, so we'd rather, um, we'd rather just not engage. And so as a result of that, there are people who are carrying these questions around as Christians who are, um, you know, growing less and less certain, while at the same time growing less and less um, capable of even uh, of even knowing where to go for answers, much less uh, finding right. answers themselves. And that's what we're trying to like lay out at amnesty year. It's like the year of Jubilee. It's like, you know, when I even when we do like the Bible studies, uh, like I did this, like I mentioned before, how a man prays for his family. I'm saying we this is the assumption that we have when we use this book, that you are a man and that you have some inkling desire or or uh, hope for to pray for your family, maybe for the first time ever. Like that's the base level we're starting at. So please come, you know? And so if that's, if, if, and, and we're not expecting you to um, have anything other than an Holy spirit infused desire to learn more of the things of God. I mean, that's what, cause we can't control that. But if you have it, then we've been called to uh, feed you because you're a sheep. That's that's the thing. So if you come hungry, we will leave you full. That's that's our promise. And, you know, we can get into, um, you know, we're not maybe on this podcast, but, you know, we can talk about the relative efficacy of uh, evidential apologetics and presuppositional and all the things, you know, because we've talked about this for a long time. But but as practitioners now in the church, then our role, as I said before, is to trust that God will bring to us get his speak for him, not in vain, proclaim the word and trust that the sheep that hear his voice will come looking hungry and, um, and we better not leave them unfed or uncared for. And that, and that involves, you know, teaching the word, uh, uh, exposing wolves, preparing them for self-defense. And ultimately, um, as we say in the Cranmer's collect for, like we talked about last week for the scriptures, um, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest so that we will ever hold forth the blessed hope of everlasting life. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. We send you out into the world in peace to love and serve the Lord. And I, for one, am incredibly grateful for um, co-belligerents or co-combatants in that with you all. Um, and I think that we're not alone, thank goodness, when we get emails all the time of people who are both encouraged by what we're doing, but also doing it themselves in a variety of ways. And that's also encouraging. And I think that we have, you know, as Stephen Paulson, a dear friend, mentor, Open says is that we look back in Christian history, it's every single generation, according to 
um, you know, variety of Christian um, thinkers has been the last Christian generation, you know, because in the church always looks like it's about to die because that's part of what sub contrario under the under its opposites, part of the way of the cross. And so we're not sounding an alarm of despair. We're not sounding an alarm of, of judgment over what should or could or would have been done. It's simply, this is where we are. We've been given to assess the situation and called by God to address it uh, as, as faithfully and as comprehensively as we can. And I think this is a wonderful, um, I think this is going to be a wonderful season in the life of y'all's church and, and by extension ours. Um, as we seek to to formulate something of what it looks like for a 21st century disciple uh, in the face of um, almost non-existent edifice of Western Christian consult, uh, consensus that, uh, that other generations may have taken for granted. Something strikes me about the seriousness of the whole thing that we're attempting. I, mean, I was just reading through a bunch of outlines in the um, existence of God module just this morning. And it reads, you know, we're expecting a lot of the people who are going to be involved in this, both the students and the teachers and the parents. And I found in myself a very 21st century urge to say, oh, this, this is too much. This is too hard. Or these words have too many syllables or whatever. There are too many footnotes. And then I realized that this is important really, really important. And in the same way that you were saying earlier, Mike, that we, we, we speak to children not in the assumption that they already understand, but we speak to them so that they will understand. We're, we're, we're asking a lot faithful that the Holy Spirit will accomplish a Amen. lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. the Lord has promised us in Isaiah 55 that his word will not return to him empty. And That's we're right. We're just, you know, not harnessing the word, but we're, we're, we're aiming it. We're, we're putting it in place and trusting that the word itself will, will ask a lot and then provide a lot because that's, right. that's good news for us. Yeah. And, and I think I agree with you, Mike, that obviously children don't uh, learn everything um, uh, initially, but, but they also do know more than many parents give them credit for. At least that's I certainly right. appreciate, you know, because uh, what is the, I forget who said it, it was either Jocko or Jordan Peterson or Seth Rogen, um, Joe Rogan or not, or maybe Seth Rogen. And what it is, <laughs> I think I get Seth and Joe mixed up all the time. They're so similar, but, um, but it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that kids are, there's don't tell your kids that dragons aren't real, like teach them how to kill dragons. You know, that's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, the yeah. idea. Like, and I think yeah. it, maybe it was from Jocko. I think it's GK Chesterton actually. Well, maybe, well, there you go. Well, is it really GK <laughs> Or Chesterton? Seth Rogen, you know, whoever. I think he says, uh, fairy tales don't teach kids that dragons are real. Fairy tales teach them how to kill the dragon. Oh yeah. Well, that's okay. Well, it's either Seth Rogen or GK Chesterton. <laughs> you pretty much can go eat, go either way with all that. But, um, but I love that because, you know, these parents and it's part of the, infantilization uh sort of cult of modern um sort of quote-unquote adulthood you know that people try to stay a child forever um and they try to protect the quote-unquote innocence of their children forever as if uh although now unless they're sexualizing them that's right which is um because you know the fact that um the fact that children i mean children are very aware of the fact that thunder is is big and scary and lightning can kill you and that um you know the alligator who lives in the lagoon across the street from me um is should not be trifled with 
with, you know, things like this. And so what do we do? Do we teach them like, well, don't worry. The alligator's not going to get you. Of course not. We teach them like, don't go close to the, close to the thing. Like if it does come at you, run in a zig, you know, blah, blah, blah. We actually have alligator protection drills here in South Carolina um, because it's, if you kill one, you get thrown in prison for, for life, um, I think, or something like that. Um, wow. I don't know if that's entirely true. I haven't actually tried to figure out what a fine is to kill one because I was like, when push comes to shove, that's not really, a, that's really a problem I'm going to have. Ford fact checkers for the stand firm pod. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. That's <laughs> right. But, um, but no, I think you're exactly right, Nick, is that it's, it, and this is what I've, I've in a variety of capacities recently had to defend myself against being too dour. You know, it's almost like your talk, your famous talk that will, that will echo down through the ages about, <laughs> you know, we seem like we're depressed, but we're not, you know, the, how the Christian grows in reverse, you know, this idea that we talk about sin, death, and the devil. And we talk about the darkness of the world to an extent that many people think would be depressing or disillusioning or demoralizing. But in fact, it's simply because the light uh, will not be overcome by the darkness. And so the darkness is not something to be afraid of is something to be prepared to walk out into with the light. And unfortunately, too many people are uh, confused. They live in like the eternal dusk, you know, uh, it's or like in C.S. Lewis's version of hell, you know, it's almost almost sunrise all the time. And that's not where we live. We live where the sun has risen and he hasn't taken us out of the world as he himself prayed. He wasn't going to take his disciples out, but that he would be protected and they would be they wouldn't be snatched out of his hands. And we are trusting that not only will we not be snatched, but those who we have been given to care for will similarly not be snatched. And part of that snatching protection is, um, is what we're doing here with the church and through these through this catechism and through this formation. And of course, you know, ultimately, it's all in the Lord's hands, but we will be faithful to what we've been given ahead of us and trust that um, that he who is faithful will um, will persevere and go ahead and continue in the way. And that's, that's what we're doing. And it's, it's, it's um, yeah. great joy. Yeah. I was, I was going to just say too, also, you know, especially if we're working with, with youth, you know, in this uh, discipleship and formation, we're likely not to see the fruit of it. And it, or that, that can get us, you know, frustrated maybe, or discouraged, but our job is to just what plant and water, right. And the fruit will come when they're 30, 40, 50, and they have a family of their own and they are tackling these questions and having to, and they're having to disciple their, their kids. That's when the fruit will come about. Um, and we're, you know, what we're doing is building a strong foundation, planting seeds and watering it, and then sending them out adequately, you know, adequately prepared and, and ready. You know, it's easy for me to, um, and probably for, for anyone to, you know, to wonder, you know, was what we're doing fruitful? Is what we're doing going to have any type of lasting impact or legacy? But we have to trust the Lord's promise that, you know, as you were saying, Nick, that his word will not return empty and that um, he will do what he has set out to do. And that is to save sinners, transform hearts and uh, reach the world with the gospel. And so, uh, and that may be, you know, we may not see that immediately in the classrooms, but it's, it's going to happen as long as we're, you know, we're faithful to, to just teach the scriptures and teach the word. Amen. Amen. Well, we are really grateful to be in this work with you guys. We can't wait to uh, continue. Um, it's a great 
joy to be able to find our vocation here in in proclaiming that good news to our churches, to our communities, and to the world. We are at the time limit we try to set for ourselves each week. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can. Please be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or you can even join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to J.D. Koch, and a special thanks this week to Mike Neal and Alonzo Crawford. I'm Nick Lannon. Lord willing, we'll be back next week with or without Matt Kennedy. (laughs) Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. (laughs) 